Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. You know, the past couple of weeks have touched some hearts in amazing ways, and this morning we're so grateful to welcome back several people who just through uh, circumstances, health issues, concerns with the virus and other things like that have not been able to attend for a while and they're back for the first time in a year and a half and we're so thrilled and we also are very excited about a special homecoming that uh, is uh, something we've uh, just been really, really blessed to think about over the past week. Uh, He was here with his family and his wife for many, many years and uh, we're just so excited to give a, a warm New Covenant, New Mexico welcome to uh, Pastor Chad Smith, who's back in the pulpit today. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's so good to be here. Um, it's an honor to fill in for Pastor Dave, somebody that I dearly care for, somebody that's meant so much to me and to many of you here today. I was thinking about when I showed up today, it felt like coming home. It felt like the faces that I know and I love and that love me. I looked around this room and this space and and all the memories that have been made. I thought about the meals that have been shared, the children that have been baptized, and all of those things that I got to be part of. I remember my first baptism, Steve was talking about um, doing baptism, and this is really where I, I grew in my ministry and I became a pastor. I remember the first time I was baptizing somebody, I was so nervous. You're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They got dunked that day, but I'm not sure in whose name. I couldn't get the words out. I was stuttering around them. I, I don't think I pronounced baptism. I, it was the day that we left, or last Sunday. I had the honor of right here up front of baptizing my oldest son. And as I came back here and I thought about why I'm here today. It doesn't have to do with a memorial service. It doesn't have to do with a pulpit. It has to do with a community. We read in Genesis chapter 2, very beginning of the Bible, one of the first things that God creates is community. And then from there, we will read today, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter, um, we'll be in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 42. What we read in Acts is at the birth of the church that God creates community. That we were created for community and that community is what God has chosen to help redeem and restore and bring his good news to the world around us. And so that's where we're going to be today. What I would like to do is I like to open us in prayer and then I want to share a story with you before we get to today's text. God, thank you so much. Thank you for all these faces, for all these people that are here today. Thank you for all the good times I've had with them and they've had together. God, I thank you for your church, that it is your church that you've chosen to use to share your good news with a hurting and a broken world, that not even the gates of hell will overcome. I pray for this church, for this fellowship, that they will stand strong together that they will be an irresistible community that people look at and say, I want to be part of that. 
and there will be a testimony of your goodness. God, as we come to your word today, let us not miss it. Let us hear what you have for us. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. After Pentecost, everything was different. I mean, how could things ever be the same? After all they experienced, after all they saw, and now, and now the Holy Spirit was there in them and amongst them. For him, the day started like any other day. He was sitting in his favorite spot by his favorite window, drinking a cup of tea. The Jerusalem had been, people had been pouring into Jerusalem all week long, and he could hear the noise picking up that morning. He was one of the 140. He was one of the 140 that drew near to Jesus towards the end and that remained together now. You don't read his, his name anywhere in the book of Acts, and you won't hear his story in the Gospels. But he was there. He was there for all of it. On that day, it started like any other, him there before everybody, waiting for them to show up for prayer. See, the 140, they would gather together every day since Jesus left, since he had rose into the sky, and they would pray together and encourage each other. And he waited for them to show up, and as everybody started filing in, they greeted each other and hugged each other. And then they gathered together, and they began to pray. And as soon as they began to pray, everyone knew that there was something different about that day. It felt different. He began to pray, and he heard somebody near him begin to speak in tongues. He had never heard anything like that before, and at first, he was frightened. And then he heard the woman next to him begin to speak, and then he felt it within his own self, deep within his own soul, and he heard the words come out of his mouth. The presence of God was so powerful that day, so felt, so seen, so known. His grandmother had told him about the Spirit, about the power of the Holy Spirit, about when he came upon Samson that he gave him strength. About when he came on Gideon, he gave him courage. But this was somehow so much different than he expected. So much warmer, so much more familiar. The crowd, they began to gather, wondering what was going on with all of these men and these women that were speaking in these different languages. They began to ask if they were drunk. And of course they weren't. It was too early in the morning for that. At that moment, Peter stands up. Peter stands up. He had kind of been the, the leader before that. And he, he stands up and he starts to teach. But somehow, Peter was different now. He was less arrogant, less self-assured, and had this sort of calming presence about him. And he started thinking to himself, he goes, how did Peter have time for a message? We've been together all day. But he started saying all the right things in all the right ways. He was speaking with, with conviction and with power, a power that was something beyond him. And he began to share. He began to share the good news of Jesus, how he came to fulfill all of the old stories, and how all the thousands that were there listening that day could choose to follow him. When Peter was finished with his message, he invited everyone there to join them, to join their little group, to be baptized, 
to repent and to join them. It was an emotional day. Some of the people were crying. Some were experiencing joy. Some were confused. Some were angry. After that day, it wasn't just 140 anymore. There were thousands that were going to join them. The next morning, they got together, that original group, those men and those women that had been spending all those days together in that upper room. And they began to ask, what do we do now? I mean, there's all of these people that are joining our movement. What do we do now? At first, there was some concern and some fear that all these newcomers, that they're going to change everything, that they're going to mess it all up. But they knew. They knew this was the way. That this is the way that it was meant to be. While this room had been good to them, while it was familiar and comfortable, there was something greater to come. All that had happened wasn't just for them in that room. So they decided to leave that place. They decided to leave that place and to go out and to build communities elsewhere. And he was one of them. He was one of them that would go out and help build other communities. On his way home, he started thinking, how am I going to explain to my wife everything that I'm feeling and thinking? And as he walked home and he opens the door, the kids are running around and they're loud and his wife's making dinner and, and he's like, man, when am I going to have time to talk? And um, towards the end of the meal, his wife goes, hey, can we go up to the roof and talk? I have something that I want to share with you. And so as they go up there, she begins to share, I think we need to open our home. I think we need to open our home and invite people in after everything that happened yesterday. People that need to know and grow and people that need to be part of this. And he knew in that moment that God was speaking to her as much as he was speaking to him. And so they did. They opened up their home, not to thousands or even hundreds, but to a dozen. Nearly every day they would gather together. The kids, they would laugh and they play and the adults, they would visit and encourage each other. They would eat together, they'd play games together, and they lived life together. His favorite part is whenever they would pray. You know, he had been brought up, his mom taught him how to pray. She taught him how to recite those old words that were memorized, but somehow this was different. Somehow this was more powerful and from the heart. Their prayers meant something. They would come together and they would pray and they would worship together. They had a deeply formed community. Anytime that somebody was in need, each other was there to support them. If it was a, a physical need, they would come together and anoint them with oil, and often they would see a miracle happen. If it was a spiritual need, they would encourage each other, challenge each other, and build each other up. If it was a financial need, everyone was eager to contribute so that nobody went without, that everybody had enough. This wasn't the only community like this. They were happening all over Jerusalem and beyond. They would often come together and they would hear the apostles' teachings that they would gather together. They were deeply committed to each other. He didn't experience any community like this in the past. One that was deeply transformed by the Holy Spirit, deeply enriched by each other, 
People from all different backgrounds and cultures coming together to worship and learn and to follow Jesus. Well, those of you who know this story well, and for all of us who are about to dive into this story together, this isn't quite the perspective that we're used to hearing. While this perspective is made up, it's not fictional. We often think about biblical accounts and narratives as incredible people that are part of extraordinary circumstances. And we miss that there are people like you and I, that that is the reality. There are people with children and marriages and jobs, with struggles and challenges that experience the goodness of God in their life. And I think if we miss that today, if we miss the humanity that existed, then we miss the whole thing. That we'll make it into some sort of theological truth and we'll miss the transformative power that we can experience through the Holy Spirit and the community that he is forming. So don't miss it. That you and I, we were made for community. So join me in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I may be reading from the NIV. They'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone who was, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily of all of those who were being saved. I grew up um, in, a, in a Baptist church. We would show up at 10 a.m., we would have Sunday school, then we would go to church. I remember um, the pastor would, uh, after worship, would call all the kids up front. Some of you grew up in this kind of church, and he would teach the kids, and then he would teach the adults. After we had uh, that time of worship and teaching together, we would hang out and um, have fellowship time, which usually meant a potluck and maybe volleyball or softball afterwards. Later on, I would go to a Pentecostal church. If the Baptists were good at cooking food and teaching the Bible, the Pentecostal people were great at worshiping. And I got like that experience of both worlds. My wife, uh, Emily, she grew up in a very different kind of setting. Her family was uh, not church. That's not something they valued or believed or taught in their home. And so the very few times that she went to church, she went to Catholic mass that was done in Spanish, so she didn't even understand it. It was performed by, by Father Nacho, not Nacho Libre. It probably would have been a much better service if it was him. But that was the entirety of her experience at church before she got saved for herself and later we got married. And we were attending this fellowship. And I remember we were going on vacation and I said, hey, it would be great to visit a local church and just worship together and not have to work. She goes, yeah, that'd be great. So I looked this one up in town and, and I knew right away it was a Pentecostal church. And I said, hey, when we get there, they're going to worship a little different. And she's like, oh, okay. I'm like, they're going to clap a little louder. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, they might dance a little bit. And they might have a flag that they start flying. And she thought I was joking, but she didn't think it was funny. 
So she just didn't say much. So we show up at this church and we begin to worship. And I knew right away, I'm like, this feels right. This feels like home. <laughs> and they begin to dance. And then we start to go like, okay, what's going on? And, they, and then somebody brings out the flag, like the honor guard, and they're flipping it around and twirling it, having a good time. And Emily's like, what is going on here? Like, and after we left, um, I was like, what did you think of church today? And she goes, well, that was different, because <laughs> Emily's never going to say anything about the people of God worshiping a holy God in their different way. Oftentimes, when we characterize churches, we think of the way that they worship or the style of preaching. Think about that just for a moment. When we think about the church across the street or up the hill, we think about maybe they have a hazer or loud light or a, a bright, brighter lights or, or, or a cooler pastor or whatever. And that's often how we characterize churches. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, as he begins to tell us about the first church, he doesn't tell us about the songs that they sing. He doesn't tell us about how loud the music was. He doesn't speak if they used a hazer or not. He doesn't say if they used hymnals or a scream. He doesn't say that if the, the pastor was dynamic. He doesn't say if the youth pastor had tattoos on his arms. He describes the community that they had. That's the very first thing that he wants us to understand about the very first church. We have Jesus that had come to this world, that he ascends, and he says the Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will come and give you power. And so on that day, on that Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on the people of God. And in that moment, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. He begins to share the good news of Jesus. And the text says in chapter 2, later uh, verses 12, I believe, it says that 3,000 people came to respond and be baptized and to join in together in this movement that day. And the very next thing that is described is the community. It's a community that is radically different than any community that existed around them. They were dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They cared deeply for each other. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They lived life together. And it says that God used that movement to draw others in. It was an irresistible community. Our world needs this kind of community. Not only does our world need this kind of community, we were meant for this kind of community. You were meant for this kind of community. We live in a culture that is more isolated and individualistic than any culture before us. A recent survey has found that three in five people say that they consistently experience loneliness. Three in five people experience loneliness. Now there's good news. For those of us who are part of a church, that number is quite a bit lower. One in six churchgoers one of six church churchgoers say they experience significant loneliness on a regular basis. There's something wrong there when we have a world that is experiencing loneliness and we have a church that was built for community and one in six people in the church says 
I consistently and regularly feel lonely. Alongside this, we see an increase of depression, feeling of despair amongst a population that is increasingly digitally connected and socially dysfunctional. And many of us today here, we feel this. We feel this deep in our souls and in our hearts. And what I want to share with us today, and I want us to hear today in reading of this church, this first church that was built by Jesus, that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, is I want us to see these these three aspects that I believe can give us a, a richer and a fuller sense of community, and that a watching world around us sees irresistible. The first thing that we find in verse 42 is it says that they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. This is the very first thing that we read. And uh, when we think of community, each community is formed around a shared set of values or interests or mission. And for the church, for the legitimate followers of Jesus, for the people of God, the core aspect, the first thing is the word of God. There is a dedication to the word of God and to its teaching. That the, the, the psalmist would say that it's more precious than gold and it is sweeter than honey. And as they come together as the first church, the first thing they're committed to is the teaching of the word of God. I was reading uh, one of my favorite authors recently, and he was talking about um, uh, going to Russia. He had went to Russia, I think it was about 15 years ago. Uh, Bibles in Russia were still illegal to have in print, and he had decided he was going to smuggle a couple Russian Bibles into the country, just two of them in his coat jacket. And so he went to the state church to worship. And you got to be kind of careful there because the KGB monitors everything that's going on in the state church. And so he said that he went to a couple of services, and then one day he finds this man that's walking down an alley after service, and he decides to follow him. Of course, the man's frightened because there's this foreigner that's following him down the street. And he reaches into his pocket, and he hands the man this Bible, this Russian Bible, And he said that the man began to weep in that moment. And he pulls out from his pocket just a few worn out pages from the book of John. That's all he had had. And when I read this, I wonder if we have this same sort of dedication and heart to the word of God. That we're so able to access it so often we forget. We forget that it's more precious than gold and it's sweeter than honey. It doesn't say here that they just showed up to hear the teaching of the apostles, but it says that they were dedicated to the truth of what was being taught. I think of this dedication, uh, de- dedication kind of as uh, of commitment. When you perform a wedding, the bride and the groom, they stand at the altar together and they exchange vows. This exchangement of vows is a commitment of how they're going to live and function in life together. It's a set of values that they're going to carry out and they're going to live by. This is the heart of the church. It's not just dedicated to the learning or the hearing. It's to the dedicated to the living out. It's a commitment to fulfill the promise that we've made of followers 
of Jesus. The second thing that we read is they weren't just dedicated to the Word of God. It says that they were dedicated to the fellowship. When it said, and then afterwards, in the next coming verses, he goes on to explain what that fellowship looked like. He said, that fellowship looked like prayer. That fellowship looked like they gathered together and they ate meals together. That fellowship looked like they came together and they worshiped God together. That fellowship looked like they had all things in common. This word that's used for fellowship here is the word kononia. It is the word for community and fellowship, but it means something so much richer and deeper in the original language. It speaks of the intimate connection between the members of the community, a deep spiritual bond, a commitment to each other, joint participation in the life of the whole. It's to say that this type of community is deeply committed to each other, the sharing of the spiritual bond, that each person is committed to the whole and the whole is committed to each person. As Luke uh, starts describing this community, one of the things he points to is he's trying to help everyone understand and paint a picture of how committed they were to each other. And he says they were so committed to each other that they had all things in common. This uh, text, I think, has been in some ways misappropriated at times, and I want to create some clarity around it. What Luke is uh, painting the picture of the early church as doing and what the church was doing was, was not some sort of socialistic utopia. It's not advocating that all of what you have is mine and all that I have is yours. It's a recording of a practical way of carrying out God's value amongst his people. See, the goal of the early church was not that everyone had the same. It was that everyone had enough. This kind of extravagant care in a community has to do with giving and not holding back in order that everyone's needs are met. I think of it of this way. of Let's say that I have five fish and Jenny has one fish, and Jack has no fish. Jack doesn't know how to tie a fly, I guess. He doesn't have any fish. Socialism would say that I need to give up a certain amount of fish, that I'm forced to give up a certain amount of fish to make sure that Jenny and Jack have an equal share of fish that I have. What this would say is that we come to God with our hands open, with radical generosity, saying that I fully trust in you and that all of this is yours. I hold nothing back. This kind of care in a community has to do with giving and not holding back. Even our rainy day fish, even our, our, our vacation fish, even our retirement fish, you get me? It's not fish. <laughs> That we say, Lord, I so love you, I so trust you, and I'm so dedicated to the well-being of my brothers and sisters. It is all yours. Now, I'm not advocating for one economical system or over another. I believe that they are all flawed and they are all abused by broken people. 
what I am advocating for is a community that is deeply shaped by the power and the values of God. We need this kind of deeply formed community. This kind of community that, yes, it's friendships. It's not less than that, but it's something more than that. This kind of community, it becomes a place that we're tethered to. That whenever things are challenging and when things are hard, when things are, there's chaos around us, when we're experiencing loss and grief, when we're experiencing pain, when there's warfare and strife that exists in the world, when we have job loss, when we're battling our own sin and our own brokenness, that we can set our eyes on the goodness of Jesus and say, even in the midst of all of this, that you are Lord and I trust you. And we lock arms with brothers and sisters that are on the same journey as us. We found this to be true when we moved here to Albuquerque. Before we moved here, we lived in Tucson and we had built-in community. We had our parents and our friends that we had grown up with, and then we moved here, and we didn't know a soul. And we were young, and we were poor, and we had little kids, and we didn't know what we were doing. I remember when we walked into this building, and we came and worshiped. And a couple weeks after that, Greg and Meredith invited us into their home and into their life group. And they cared for us, and they loved us. And I remember the time that Walt and Jenny invited us over to their house for dinner, and they said, you're not staying here for dinner. We're going to watch the kids. And they gave us a gift card, and we went out on a date. And I, and I remember the times where we were in, in, in need of prayer, and people came around us and huddled together and cared for us so well. That was the impact that this community had on us, and we so desperately needed it. And this is a picture of what the church can be. This next part, this next part, I was originally going to uh, uh, title it or call it um, Marked by Mission, that the church was marked by mission, that it was on mission together, which I think is true. That is the calling of the church, to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. Yet when I read this section, I think what it's emphasizing here is not so much our activity, but it's what happens when the truth of the gospel is lived out in the lives of God's people. It becomes an irresistible community. Oftentimes we think of countercultural movements uh, primarily as moral values or political ideals. However, in a world and a culture that is filled with division and selfishness and solitude and independence, a true countercultural movement looks like unity. It looks like charity. It looks like self-sacrifice and forgiveness, and it looks like grace. This is the way that God has chosen to bring his kingdom into this world. Yes, through the work of Jesus Christ. Yes, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but also alongside and through the church. This is how we battle culture in this world. This is how we choose to fight the gates of hell. Hear me say this. For some of us today, the way that we need to advance God's kingdom, 
the way we need to stand against the brokenness of this world and the effects of sin. The way that we stand against evil rulers. For some of us here today, it is around our dinner table. It's inviting people into community, about showing up to the community with them. This kind of deep, rich, gospel-shaped community. This is our origin story. A lot of, a lot of us, uh, Marvel has kind of taken over the movie studio scene and, and all the theaters. And within that superhero story, they all have an origin story. An origin story is where a hero gets their power and their purpose. Organizations have origin stories, stories too, that they share. Organizations share origin stories so that they could stay on mission together and they could shape their culture. This is our origin story. This is not just them and then, this is us and now. This is where we look back to, to know where we're going forward to. This is where we get our power. This is where we get our mission. This is where we know of where our purpose lies. And so today, if you're here, I, I, I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss this. If you're here and you've never called Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, that is the first step. That is where it all begins. It begins with us and our sinfulness, not just you and your sinfulness, because each and every one of us here are broken, are undeserving, but we have a heavenly Father that dearly loves us. He loves us so much that it says that he sent his one and only son to this world, that he would die for you. And that's where it begins. That's where our origin story begins, is coming to Jesus and say, God, thank you so much. Please forgive me. And if you've never done that, I would challenge you and I would ask you to pray about that today and not leave this place before you take that step. If you've already been there and you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, which I know many of you have, I, I, I would tell you this, don't miss the value of, of a deep, rich commuted, uh, community of following Jesus, one that's deeply committed to the word of God, one that's deeply committed together, one that prays together, that worships together, that holds each other strong when you're feeling weak. If that's you here today and you don't have that kind of community, do not leave here without finding one. You could go to the, um, to the welcome uh, uh, table outside, and they, Brian would love to talk to you about that, help you find a place of belonging, help you find a place that looks like this. For some of you here today, it's time for you to invite people to your table. You've had your two or your three or your six. And it's time to feel that challenge. That challenge that I need to invite others in. I need to help others find this sense of community. Maybe it means that you need to start a men's Bible group or women's. But maybe it just means that you need to invite people into your home. I want to close this in prayer. I want to pray for our church. But I want to pray for this. I want to pray that we don't miss this today. So please bow your heads and, and pray with me today. God, thank you so much for New Covenant Church. Not New Covenant Church on Paseo, not this building or these walls. Thank you, God, for New Covenant Church that sits here in this room, the people, the people that you've called to be part 
of your community, an irresistible community, one that spurs each other on, that holds each other up, one that is dedicated to your word, to the living of it, one that's dedicated to each other. God, thank you so much for your goodness in our life. Thank you for the work of Jesus in our life. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you stir our hearts today, that if there's somebody here that needs to make a decision to follow you, that they won't leave this place without it. God, if there's somebody here that's lonely, that's feeling distant, not just from you, but from your people, that they won't leave this place without finding a sense of belonging. God, we praise all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.